0: between Christmas and New Year's. I don't know what to <laughs> call this like weird void of time that exists in between these two holidays every year. But The lost days. Yeah, I do like this moment where everything just kind of slows down for a little bit.
1: Yes. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we're going to talk about The Art of War by Sun Tzu. But yes.
0: Now, it's just like that last week where you can tell yourself, you know, 20 insert number here was not the world's best year but because the because events like conform to our understanding of time yeah. and like gregorian calendars and stuff yeah we can tell ourselves you know 2022 is going to be better it's not it's not just going to be a continuation of stuff that was that was bumming us out about this past year. It's not it's like it's a it's a clean slate. It's a chance to begin anew with all the same people in all the same positions. Yes, yeah. unfortunately,
1: let old acquaintance be forgot and I'm, end of song. I am gonna. All right, let me talk about books on this podcast along with the unceasing march of time. And this week, Andrew, I already said the name. What do we read?
0: We read *The Art of War* by Sun Tzu by- or Sunzi. As ah, it's sometimes Romanized, Masterson. Let's Masterson, say Masterson. Yes.
1: Um, and we read the translation by Michael Nyland. Yep. Um, and that's the one we're going to talk about. There have been others.
0: There will be more, I'm sure.
1: Yes. Uh, but that's the translation we're talking about today. Before we get into the book, I do want to highlight our January schedule, Andrew. Yes. Speaking right. of the March of Time. I love it. So uh, we do have our final episode of December 2021 coming up. Our Happy Horny Days coming for Christmas. I haven't read it yet.
0: I want to I keep myself <laughs> fresh for the episode.
1: Uh, find out more about how to join us for those recordings or get it early at patreon.com. But it'll still come on the main feed. No pun intended. Later. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about Dragon Tattoo,
0: book two. The Girl Who Played With Fire by Stig Larsson. Then, There's a chapter about that in uh, The Art of War, so I'm curious to see if, oh, it is, you're right. if they uh, dovetail at all.
1: There's no chapter specifically about animals, but we are going to be talking about the story of Dr. Doolittle by Hugh Lofting uh, with Allie from the SSR podcast. Then we're going to talk about Homegoing by Yad Jossi. Then, <laughs> Andrew, I can't believe you put this on our calendar. We're going to talk about Dan Brown's The Lost Symbol.
0: Yeah. Now, this is the adaptation. I under, as I understand, this is the adaptation of a TV show that, yeah, (laughs) that aired on the, on NBC's Peacock streaming yeah no, this is, i'm just kidding it's the dan brown book the novelization of peacock's
1: yeah. dan brown's the lost symbol yeah mm-hmm. with andrew and our friends from
0: appointment television will be joining us to talk about that yes our first post appointment television project together i'm honored is to be perfectly ending. honest yeah. mm-hmm. um, well now you can finally stop pretending to not know what the podcast is like you you yeah. killed it you did it you outlived that's it. good true. job craig outlive outplay outlast <laughs> <laughs>
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh that's the art of war and then we're closing out the month clowning out the month, which with uh, rotha's creature by claire bell i
0: understand that there
1: are warrior cats or warrior cat people in it
0: Mm -hmm. do you think that they have read the art of war
1: i mm, unclear because i don't know when that book's supposed to take place
0: because if any if anybody understands the use of spies i think it's cats Cats They're just spies. very devious and shifty creatures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As yeah. a rule, now, Andrew, I suggested this
1: book, The Art of War, for our show, and you immediately perked up and were like, "I want to read that too." Why'd you say that? Why'd you want to
0: do I that? I don't know. Just, just hadn't read it before.
1: That's not normally how we do the show. One of us usually reads it to the other person, or you know, a facsimile thereof. But well, so
0: it's two. It's two things. It's one, I hadn't read it before, and two, it's pretty short. <laughs> Sure. Like if, if it had been, you know, if it had been uh, Nabokov or Ward yeah, yeah. Peace, uh, I would be like, well, you know, it would probably be good to have read that, but yes. that's pretty long book. And the closest pod we've done
1: to this text, that is when uh, I read The Prince a year or two ago a Machiavelli, um, and I do think that would have been another interesting one to have you also read, though it is a little bit longer than this. Sorry. Just no, no. I,
0: I Next think, time we do uh, tacticians, <laughs> tactician I guess. political treatise,
1: I, mm-hmm. just because it doesn't, you know, doesn't have a plot. It doesn't have characters to hang our hats on and, and tell the other person about. Sure. So maybe better to have us both briefed on the text. But I have never read this before. My only exposure to the Art of War, aside from probably like quotes from it being title cards in movies and video games.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I think the only exposure I have to it is when a villain in a movie turns to the protagonist and says, have you ever read the art of war Yeah. before he says, you know, something evil
1: in high school? I bought a book about the art of war and playing Texas Hold'em. Uh, okay. Cause I learned how to play Texas Hold'em poker in high school and people liked to v- invite
0: me to play poker, which you had a reputation even at college for being pretty good at it. i
1: That's nice Though, of you to say, because I think I was probably not amazing at it.
0: Well, I mean, we only in four years played, I only saw you play poker like three times.
1: Oh, well, that's fair. <laughs> so, like,
0: it did, it, you just, you had that, uh, the, uh, the reputation because you had ever played it before oh, sure. in a competitive contest. You
1: no, know, I'm talking about the friends of mine who would invite me to their place to play. I would never earn that much money. But you would
0: earn some money. But they'd always invite me back,
1: which probably meant I was losing it and not keeping track. And so I did buy Texas Hold'em in the Art of War or something uh, like that. I, cu- I mm-hmm. couldn't find it on my shelf, though I did find a book online called the art of war 36 stratagems for texas hold'em from 2014
0: <laughs> can you tell me how attack by fire factors into I d- texas hold'em <laughs> no
1: I like don't. if you if
0: you think your opponent has good cards maybe get a bic lighter out yeah. and just torch them
1: or you know melt their chips or something i'm not yeah, sure. yeah
0: melt their chips
1: um but this is like a this is a classic this is a book that a lot of people know about and have known about for a long time
0: people know the name of it even if they haven't read it yes which is which kind of dovetails a little bit into i don't know if yeah. you want to talk Where about do you the want... intro first or what you want to do but like go for it uh Nylon in her in her introduction and in other pieces she's written about translating this i believe she's the first woman to translate the whole thing into english i think
1: Yes. A a notable translation that that is widely published and known for sure. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. Um, Is she talks about how the art of war is in many ways about how to avoid war. Like it it has a lot of lessons about uh, like civilian leadership and you know, that, that kind of thing. In addition to like, you need to feed your horses. Yeah. (laughs) Like don't attack a walled city. If I had to Cliff's notes, the art of war it would be don't attack a walled city <laughs> just don't do it yes uh-huh for sure because <laughs> uh, master soon mentions it being a bad idea a lot of times
1: yes and and the yeah the the takeaway that Nylon wants us to have based on her intro and some other articles i think you alluded to is that like pr- it's it's about preparation and it's about calculation
0: and knowing thyself mm-hmm. but every if you know if you know yourself and you know your enemy, then you'll win all the time.
1: And you'll also know when you don't when you shouldn't even play. Like yeah. I think the other takeaway from this book is play stupid games, win stupid prizes. like if you <laughs> if you only if you play too often, you will lose sometimes. Mm-hmm. and the the art of war is knowing whether or not to play at all. Yeah. Um, we can end the podcast now. We did it.
0: I think <laughs> no, we did it. We something. It's. I mean, there there are tons of little like passages that you can that you can read and be like, this is the this is the nut of the art of war. Like this is the yeah this is the point of it because it kind of dances around it and reiterates it in a few different ways. Like I liked this one the most. When knots to gain, move not over things of little worth. Fight not save and direst need war not. Yeah. A ruler cannot call up armies in a rage, nor can his commander start a war over a slight. They move only if it is to their advantage. They bide their time if it is not. A person in a rage can be restored to good humor, and someone mortally offended can be restored to affability. By contrast, a kingdom once destroyed cannot be restored, nor can the dead be brought back to life. Thus the brilliant ruler approaches battle with due prudence, etc., etc. et cetera.
1: Yeah. Uh, the one that I liked a lot was, and I'm, we will go through this book in more detail, but we're going to talk about Sun Tzu, but in, if we're sharing quotes... We've all heard of victories that result from a quick strike by a mediocre opponent, but we have yet to hear of a single victory gained by clever schemers who let the hostilities drag on. <laughs> you got to do it fast. Yes. That's the part of the book that is like, don't fight if if you don't know what winning looks like. <laughs> Just get out of there. Um, yeah.
0: I mean, it's this is something Nylon does to so i don't know like i so something she does both in a lit Hub piece that we read that i think we can link yep. and also the introduction to the book is i'm not i'm not 100% sure when this was published but it is like based on the introduction and and this lit Hub piece 2019 which, i think this 2019, is yeah i was going to say like the introduction is very taken up of the post trump pre pandemic politics and especially like c- contextualizing the translation and like her framing of what the book is about against the backdrop of like Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi and whatever. Yeah, (laughs) And I think like there is a, there's a wider point to make, especially if you encompass like the, the war in Iraq war in Afghanistan. Like, I, I think there are more nuanced things to say that you can use to tie it to our political times, but that, so like, this is this is something she says in the Lit Hub thing that sort of bothered me a little bit. Um Clearly, Trump and his ilk believe that the art of war, like the prince, teaches clever people how to sow dissension. This is a stupid way to parse the text requiring cherry picking of the most benighted sort. And the, the thing that, like, rubs me the wrong way about that is to... One to say that any like understanding of how to read a book, especially a book like this, is stupid. Like I don't think. Hmm. I I think that maybe underestimates people whose like whose political viewpoint obviously she doesn't agree with. And I'm I'm not I'm. What am I trying to say here? I'm trying to say that I feel like you are selling bad people short when you say that it's stupid to. Like learn bad lessons from the art. Does that make sense? No, I have a good
1: analog for this and a correction for myself. So the book was published 2020, so that I think your reading on on the political situation is is better there than it would would have been if it were nineteen. I think that there is a similar conversation going on right now with The Matrix and the Cultural responses, and I use that term broadly to various things in the Matrix, like you know
0: specifically the red pill well, metaphor. I think like the at, red at pill the metaphor, but
1: also the the like notion of being a person bucking the system and what uh, what you view as the authority you need to rebel against, and like uh-huh. what control is. Those are very potent concepts regardless of what your political beliefs are and so i think what you're i think what you're trying to say is thank you for helping i know i think what you're trying to say is funny. that like she i i agree with her sentiment that like to selectively read this book is to do the book a disservice
0: i think that's true yeah
1: but in the political realm that re, that comes off as naive because like they're the these people are vultures. They're just going to take what they want and move on anyway. Like, it's the it's the thing that I didn't like about how to win friends and influence people, mm-hmm. which was a very... And we got some re- listener responses to that episode that talked about, like, kind of how awful people have used the tenets of that book to awful ends yeah. because it is about manipulation and deceit. And that book's a little less about deceit. This one's more about deceit. Um, but yeah, it is calling it stupid you're right it short changes the power that selectively reading this book can have because yeah the poker book i read didn't use the entirety of art of war it only picked the parts that made sense for a poker metaphor
0: yeah i'm like i'm sure that you did not open that book and it was like the best way to win a poker is to to try not to play poker yes at all. exactly I'm like maybe that's maybe that's true maybe quit while your it, head is a, an important you gotta know in the when to hold <laughs> No and a fold'em. <laughs> There's but, a whole song about it. But I think the
1: the if you're going to do a new translation of this book, I think you probably are someone who is motivated by the belief that people have been not reading this book correctly. Or or at least yeah. that it it needs a new source material kind of lodestar that people can go and you know interpret
0: to their own ends yeah and, and i guess like to to end this conversation and then not really talk about yeah, it anymore yeah. like i i guess if you're going to do a translation of this of this book that seeks to maybe like recontextualize it or develop nuance and tie it into like the crumbling of american empire yeah <laughs> I I wish she'd taken a wider lens than s- viewing it like strictly through Trump and saying like Nancy Pelosi is the legislative Sun suit
1: <laughs> I think she was more saying about, that
0: someone else said that, but somebody by else including said that, but li- it, it's listen, still a little she, busted. Yeah, yeah, she repeated it, didn't she? She did. But yeah. um, like I, I think it is – you can view it through a wider lens, especially like the last – you know, a couple of, couple of decades, like any, any, anything post nine eleven, really. And I think say something that's a little more meaningful about the, like the political arena. And I, I think unfortunately, unfortunately I think this, this introduction feels very hashtag resistance in a way that is not going to age super well, which is too bad because the translation is, is really very, good. Like clear and, and clean and, and, grabby so yeah that's what i have to say
1: which is a shame because i think the middle third of her intro does a disservice to the rest to the rest of her work and like whoever at Mm -hmm. norton was like please write about trump or or didn't dissuade her or didn't encourage her to put it in a larger context because like the the end of her intro talks about how you find meaning in classic texts and she gives us this really cool list which is there are three ways the meaning it had for its author within Mm -hmm. the textual community that generated it Mm -hmm. the meaning or meanings it has acquired over time and the meaning it holds for people today And then she talks about how, with this book in particular, we have trouble discerning the first one because we have a similar like who wrote this question to talk about, Um, and the scale with which it became a known text took place over centuries. So, like, we don't, you know, the through line there is tough. the The meaning or meanings it acquired over time is really interesting because you have people as early as you know, obviously throughout Chinese history who have used this text, but then in other regions of the world in like the 15th and 16th century start citing it as inspiration for their military success, let alone all the crap we've been talking about in like the Gordon
0: gecko of the art of war. Yeah. Right. Where you start ap- applying its lessons to like being a pickup artist. Yes.
1: And, um, and then, <laughs> and then she talks about like, what might it mean today? And so then I think there was maybe an over temptation to apply it to like who is in power when the translation was being written um, where I think there's stuff in this book that is really fascinating when you just think about like the, the nature of power and when it is to move into conflict and all of that stuff has a lot of meaning making potential regardless of the context. So I wish you'd said a little bit more about that.
0: Yeah. And I'd like to be gracious to her more yeah. than I'd have been for a second. Like there, there was a, that was a point in time that like, Oh, I mean, yeah. like the first half of, of Trump's first term, especially where it's like you just felt like you had to do something or say something or like, yes, correct. You had to do what you could do. And then that's, you know, and we've d- done de- that. De- yeah. De- for sure. and yeah. We've certainly done that. And to, and to derisively refer to it as like hashtag resistance is, is to, with our like current understanding of events, like look back on on that impulse and like cringe a little bit. But I'm not going to say that we weren't also there, and I'm not I'm not going to say that that was like a pointless gesture on her part. It no. just it made me a little frustrating because I, like I think she could have said something bigger, and so much sure. of the other stuff that she had to say, I think is is really like smart and applicable.
1: Well, so, and yeah. and I liked the beginning of her her intro too, which this might be our way into talking a little bit about what we do and don't know about master soon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I excerpted a couple of things too. Uh, So yeah, go ahead. I liked her first sentence. Anyone taking up
1: a book like the art of war uh, wonders who wrote it. What is it good for? And how do we understand it now? So many centuries after it was compiled. Good joke. (laughs) Nyland. That's good. (laughs) Um and she talks about how it is how for a long long time it's been generally accepted that one guy like did a bunch of the compiling in somewhere between the 4th and 7th centuries BCE.
0: Yeah, 5th century is the date that I'd saw yes. over and over again. Uh, and um yeah, she says by the experts current understanding all early Chinese texts are composite texts. Uh, text compiled over time from impressive rhetoric ascribed to certain authors often on vague impressions and little or no evidence so a little you know like the Homeric like the the transition from like an oral yeah like spoken form to a written uh literary form
1: yeah, and there are there are things she also talks about where it's like it may not have been what did you say what they say about the Iliad, which is it may not have been Homer it may just been a different guy who lived at the same time like. And no, the idea the, the, of specific, Homer. the
0: specific joke the Iliad was not written by Homer but by somebody else with the same name oh. <laughs> which I'm sure kills in like certain rooms <laughs> um,
1: but one of the theories of a of a as close to maybe a solo authorship as we have is maybe this military theorist Sun Wu who flit, who fled the XI state um, to the kingdom of Wu somewhere around the 500 BCE. Um, may or may not have been a real person. His purported descendant, Sun Bin, appears to have been an actual person in some records. Uh, yeah, I was
0: reading about in the early 70s, yes. there were some tunes that got
1: the slips, the, the yeah, bamboo got, slips,
0: yeah, got that got, got dug up, and it included like an early version of. The Art of War, which did not have as much stuff in it as the version we read now, but was a very, very close match for the stuff that was in it. Yes, and then another similar book uh, from someone named Sun Bin. Yep. Mm-hmm. Who uh, and so there's like a theory based on that that it's sort of it was continuously developed for a, a while, and and that Sun Bin like took up a bunch of the work that had started in the Art of War or like somebody combined them at some point and they'd all just like been morphed into one person. I think that the strongest argument that uh Nylon and others cite for there not being like one Sun Tzu, like one person, is that battles that he was clearly like supposed to be famous for and supposed to have fought in, like the uh, the other accounts of those battles that we have that are extant, like don't mention him at all. Yeah, like. for sure. Um yeah, uh the problem is this that Sun Wu alone in start and that's another name for Sun Tzu, uh does not figure in any of the early masterworks that lovingly detail the complex maneuvers of the southern kingdom of Wu. For this reason scholars since the twelfth century have repeatedly queried the historicity historicity of the yeah. Sunzi narrative. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, and then she goes through like maybe it was one person, maybe it was multiple people, maybe it, it's yeah.
1: Uh, she says, and she is a professor at University of California of Early Chinese History, uh, UC Berkeley, um, has written a book called Five Confucian Classics, um, is the co-author of A History of China Through Cambridge and Lives of Confucius, so has certainly researched this period extensively. She says that this translation is based um, largely on a commentary from Cao Cao, who like did a commentary edition on of it that was a text that people worked from for centuries mm-hmm. and then there are some other references in this text there's like I'm, i think in probably the edition you read andrew whatever the kindle one i was reading the same one has like some passages in brackets and stuff like that where it references. yeah like
0: some with um she denotes in like asterisks when something rhymes in the translation because it rhymed yes. in the original yeah and then also yeah brackets for stuff that's like came from somewhere else or it was like of questionable provenance and something. we've
1: we've referenced the kind of like western cultural goof footprint of art of war as well as kind of the more serious contemporary footprint of it but like china's first historical emperor xi hongdi apparently cited it uh the Japanese Lord Shingen, uh, Takeda Shingen in the 16th century Japan Japan cited it. Mao was a big fan yeah, of I the
0: art of war. Th- in in China and like Vietnam. Viet- and, Ho Chi Minh was also a big fan of the yeah, art of war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, in the 11th century, I think, um, the Chinese emperor at the time included the art of war in this like collection of works dubbed the seven military Classics. oh sure yes um that a lot of officers and people like needed to read to advance in the military so it's it's been around and very influential for a very long time and
1: then there were there was a french translation in the 18th century the first annotated english translation was the early 20th and then 1910, 1910. by
0: uh, lionel giles okay
1: what a great what a yep that's a name Um, And kind of conventional wisdom is that the series of wars um, that the U.S. was involved with in Korea and Vietnam and were what led the U.S. military to be like, huh, art of war, huh? All the people who were like losing to or really not having a good time fighting have all read this book
0: and are Mm -hmm. abiding by its principles. Mm -hmm. We should read it. Uh, which i mean that's what the art of war tells them to do right for sure you gotta know your enemy
1: um so then like schwarzkopf and colin powell are you know using it in the 90s and now it's on every syllabus if you're at a military college essentially um and then i just have a list of where it's been referenced gordon gecko the sopranos star trek the next generation the movie battleship uh age (laughs) of empires um among other things (laughs) So and you made you that you made that list Andrew of like where it you mentioned it's been used by like pickup artists that's in a list that nylon makes where it's like it's been deployed in talking of games of skill talking about academics talking about business talking about sex talking about medicine anywhere anywhere where there is like winning and losing people have found a way to adapt the art of war as a as a text you should read.
0: Yeah, I mean, because it is, I I guess we can get into the book now if you don't have anything else. Yeah, for sure. It is, I had jokingly in our Slack channel dubbed this the first self-help book. I mean. (laughs) Because I think a lot of the advice in it is broad enough and vague enough that it invites you to like jump to your own conclusions or like draw your own lines between what the book is saying and what. Is going on in your your own life? Yeah, for sure. Because um, it's written for commanders. It is written for generals of armies. Yeah, it's not the people all the way at the top. Not the people who are actually fighting, but the like the generals, the people in the middle. And so, I think there is something
1: to the kind of poetic, philosophical concision of the book that. Is in and of itself supportive of its own advice that it's trying to give, which is like, I, Master Sun, writing this book, can't give you the specifics on where you're fighting. I can tell you how to categorize the types of place you might fight, Mm -hmm. and you need to make some decisions based
0: on that. Yeah, it's not like, here's how to stab a guy with a sword. No.
1: I was kind of surprised in that chapter on fire at how specific it was about <laughs>
0: fire. Like, it does get really specific about just fire. <laughs> it's like, here's when to set stuff on fire. <laughs> but that's like pretty late in the book
1: after- It's the next to last chapter. After Sun has spent a pretty long time being kind of like,
0: let's just talk about the big picture, man. Being the secret, but for military Yeah, encounters. it is the military secret.
1: the you know chicken chicken soup for the military soul
0: the way that the secret sets itself up where it's like oh this is an ancient thing that's been used for thousands of years by this is the real secret yeah this is the secret this is it
1: um so let's talk about what's in the book I, i do think it is worth like going all the way back to the thing we started talking about at the beginning of this podcast which is that like nyland and others have pointed out that this book is just about it's just as much about how to wage wage war as it is when not to, yeah. Or or how to do other things that are still going to accomplish those goals. Yeah. So first calculations. It's thirteen parts. None of them are too long. Mm-hmm. First calculations, Andrew. What do you remember from this chapter? Here. I mean,
0: you're, you're laying out in first calculations, like the five big things that you need to be thinking about when yes. you're thinking about like tactics or, or conflict, which are, uh, there's the way with a capital W there's the heavens, the earth, the field commander and the regulations.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Uh, Quote, the way, by definition, refers to whatever allows the people and their superior to be of one will and therefore willing to live or die with him undeterred by danger. So basically, do they respect the commander? Do they believe in the cause? Like, are they... Adequately motivated by like nationalism or like hatred for the other person or whatever it is that's going to like bond them together and make them a reliable
1: and there's there's a lot of that throughout the book and Nylon makes a note of it in the intro that like around when this book was probably being written or just thereafter They're in the record books. You see the size of armies grow, which is probably like reflective of changes in battle tactics and changes in objectives. But this book is really concerned with how you, the important general man, um, is going to convince all of these common people to do what you want. Yeah, and most of the time it's
0: don't put them in crappy situations. <laughs> don't put them in crappy situations. Like actually take care of them. Like provide yeah. for them. It, there, there are some. It is self-serving, can, but yeah. it is still oddly generous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then heavens is just like, is it light or dark out? What's the weather like? Yes. The earth is like, what's the land look like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then field commander is obviously the general. And then, uh, regulations are how the, like the army at large is like organized and and structured and how authority is delegated and how resources are, are distributed. Yeah. I mentioned the never get stuck in a siege thing that that the book comes back to over and over again. The other thing it likes to come back to is like, make sure you can eat. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Make sure people can eat. Make sure people can eat. The, and if you're fighting an enemy who seems like they aren't eating, it's because they're they. It's probably because they're weak, and you should attack them.
1: The the uh, potent quotable from this passage that people might recognize is something along lines of warfare is the art of deception when you can feign incapacity and when employing troops appear to have no such plans when close seem to them to be far away and when far away seem near all of the and that stuff I remember from that poker book I read like if you have (laughs) like you want to act like you have bad cards when you have good cards and you want to act like you have good cards when you have bad cards
0: that's a, yeah and so that's when I talk about the self-help aspect it's like okay yes that is broad advice and you can apply it to many situations but it doesn't take the next step of like specifically how am i supposed to tell if these conditions are true or not this book does later for the most yeah, part some i mean especially if you're thinking about fire but but in a lot of the early parts i no, think it, it is doesn't. it's intentionally sort of broad to try and keep it like broadly applicable
1: i also think it is trying to in in these early chapters so the next one is like initiating battle that's where i got that quote which is like don't don't take a long time to win a fight you should just win it quick don't yeah like if you're if you're conquering enemy land feed your troops with their food rather than your food
0: yeah just like minimize minimize your costs minimize the like it takes a lot of money to be at war with somebody just like keep that in, in mind and move quickly and aggressively.
1: And overall, it seems to be building an argument that like, you shouldn't try to fight cause you like to fight. You should only fight when you know you can win. Like you shouldn't have personal reasons to go into these battles because that will lead you to lose.
0: Yeah. Like it, it goes into like talking about commanders and stuff. It, it goes into like, like, aspects of of a commander's personality that mean that they're probably going to lose including yes. like whether they are can be like easily provoked mm-hmm. or if they have a death wish or <laughs> if they d- specifically don't want to die like at any cost like these are all individual things that can that can make for a bad commander
1: yes planning an attack the next chapter it's like again take everything at once winning 100 victories is worse than winning one decisive one um always try to subdue your enemy by attacking their strategies and alliances before you attack with your troops
0: yeah so there's there's a there's a nod toward diplomacy yes
1: diplomacy in the i'm playing sid meyer's civilization way
0: yeah yeah or or the game diplomacy yeah
1: well <laughs> didn't want to be that tautological but sure sure um forms to perceive is the next passage This is a little bit more about, like,
0: you don't... He who... This is the quote I have. Is this, like, the left and the right and the back and the front? Is this that section, Um, or is that another one? No, that's the... Or is that weak points and strong?
1: I think that's weak and strong. Okay. Um, Forms Perceive, the quote I have, is, he who excels in battle doesn't have a name for cleverness, nor does he garner accolades for his courage. He never errs in winning battles, because he places his men when they are bound to win, and he conquers those who are already lost. The... There are often very good teams in a football season that had a really easy strength of schedule. <laughs> Ro- uh, in the movie Rocky three, Clubber Lang gets mad at Rocky because Rocky only fought weak opponents. Well, okay. people wanted Rocky to win, so they only put him in positions where he could win. That's what uh-huh. you need to do. Be like Rocky.
0: <laughs> Be like Rocky, yeah, like look like you're awesome at stuff by only <laughs> facing people you know you could beat is, and that's that's how poker it works is the also.
1: opposite of play stupid games win stupid prizes it's only play smart games play so that smart you win, games, smart win, win smart prizes mm-hmm. um, there's a classic art of war style list in that chapter that is the art of war consists of measurements estimates calculations weighing and then victory The terrain leads to measurements. The measurements lead to estimates. The estimates lead to calculations. The calculations lead to weighing the options. The weighing leads to victory. Sure. Okay, Master Soon. I love (laughs) to estimate my calculations before I weigh victory. (laughs) The disposition of power, Andrew, is where we talk about the notion of surprise.
0: Yeah, you got to surprise people. There are but two battle strategies, the conventional and the surprise. But used in combination, they produce an infinite number of variations.
1: Just like there are only five notes, five colors, and five flavors, he says.
0: hmm Yeah, no, that's right. Uh surprise and convention engender one another like a bracelet or a ring with no beginning or and who can exhaust their variations. And this is this is another thing that the book comes back to over and over again. Is like I'm giving you a list of like a limited list of like two to five things, but the things can be combined together in so many different ways that the, you know, the possibilities are infinite. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, he talks in in the
1: next passage. Weak and strong. This is where he gets to like, hey, weak and
0: strong. I like this is this is one I remember. A
1: okay, lot uh I only have two bullet points, so let me read them and then you fill in what else you want to Please talk do. about. Yes, keep your battle location secret so that you force your opponent to defend multiple positions.
0: Yes, because to be prepared everywhere is to be strong nowhere.
1: And it is you are stronger when people are preparing for you rather than when you are preparing for people. Essentially. Which is kind of I liked that as a as a interesting way to think about who has the power in a situation. Again, like I'm getting sucked in by thinking about how this can help me win things in ways that I know (laughs) I don't know that I'm entirely comfortable with, but I do think it is an accurate observation. Mm -hmm. Um, And he also talks about not using like rigid formations and strategies, like being. Kind of. This isn't the same passage as later when he's like, "Just walk around your tent like a wild person and don't let anybody know what you're
0: doing." (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is is this the one that's like? If you are adhering rigidly to a plan and you're not taking new information into account, then you're probably going to lose. Yeah. And if you, so I know that's that's another point that's returned to a if you of times.
1: only if you're if you're rigid in your formations or where you're going to attack, then spies will know what you're doing and can tell your opponent about it. Like you mm-hmm. have to be a little unpredictable because then the people who are in your campus spies won't know what you're doing.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about spies later.
1: <laughs> Anything else in Weak and Strong that you remember?
0: No, I just I just I like the uh the language of of it that that uh nylon uses Uh those who can anticipate the place and day of the engagement can march a thousand leagues to join the battle. But for those who cannot anticipate the place or day of battle, their left flank cannot rescue the right nor the, their right. The left, their front cannot rescue the rear nor their rear, their front. Uh This is even more true when reinforcements get separated by a few leagues, let alone tens of leagues. Mm. And yeah, just like the. The uh the you know x and y or y and x like I like the the structure of it
1: yeah for sure the mm. the the next passage contending armies kicks into a thing that I noticed a lot which is when Master Sun is like here's a bunch of stuff to not do mm-hmm. it is way easier given the style of this book I think for Sun to tell you things that you shouldn't do than things that you should do because so much of what you should do is contingent upon a situation, but he can tell you like, Hey, when the enemy's flags are in like solid formation, that means that they all agree on what they're going to do next. You probably shouldn't attack them.
0: Yeah. Like, and then also you should use flags so people can <laughs> tell the difference between enemies and allies. Everyone on the
1: knows that we use the drums and the gongs and the flags and the banners yeah. Mm-hmm. So when it looks like the enemy's using them well, like maybe chill out. Like don't go in there. Yeah, um, it's
0: very important to have a good bannerman he, in your army.
1: And he he talks about needing to know the territory. Um, you want to be rested rather than travel to your opponent. You always want to play a home game. Uh, and. Then he gives a list of rules for deployment. Do not attack an enemy who has the high ground. Do not go against an enemy that has his back to a hill. Do not follow an enemy that feigns retreat. Do not attack the enemy's crack troops. Do not take the enemy's bait. Do not stop an army on its way home. When surrounding an enemy, leave him a way out. Do not press an enemy who feels cornered. I like those last two because I think the thing that that soon is always interested in is like, you got to leave them room to like disagree on what to do next.
0: Room to disagree on what to do next. And then also this dovetails with an earlier thing where he's like, if, if the odds are stacked against you, like the only way to even those odds is for you to feel like you probably are going to die and to yes. just like go all out. Yes. For and sure. so that's the stuff about like, don't, don't corner them. And then if once they are cornered, don't press them because they are going to, it's gonna be harder to get to them than it seems like it is, because specifically because they're desperate.
1: And I think we have maybe skipped over something in the earlier chapters where he talks also about like, you could have a bigger army, but if you don't know what to do with it, you'll lose. Yeah. Like
0: And so that's where the uh the book becomes a manual for pickup artists <laughs> there
1: might be hotter dudes than you, but as long as you know what to do with what you've got.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Ugh. God, I hate pickup.
1: (laughs) I feel like we have blissfully avoided a lot of opportunity to talk to them. Like, talk to talk about them not to them i never want
0: to talk to I mean, them i don't want to talk to them but i feel they like seem like they seem <laughs> specifically like they've gone out of their way to be bad to talk I to i know i just
1: feel like we've done a pretty good job of avoiding reasons to talk about them and somehow i suggested the one book that was the most relevant to them
0: um yeah craig when are we going to read a jordan peterson book no, like stop it don't even speak <laughs>
1: those words um there's further like what you shouldn't do in the nine contingencies i didn't okay i couldn't tell what the nine contingencies were because there was not an alphanumeric list there was just a bunch of stuff in that chapter
0: yeah i mean you've got you so at the end it's got the it's got four rules for deploying troops and then five flaws that a commander can have
1: that might be part of it yeah i guess i do like these five fatal flaws though you want yeah, tell t- me what the fatal flaws are. One determined to fight to the death can be killed. That's yeah. good. Because mm-hmm. that means that somebody's looking to
0: die. Yeah, this is what I was talking about earlier with when we are talking about things that make a bad commander. <laughs>
1: yes. One determined to survive at all costs can be captured. One with a quick temper can be provoked by insults. One obsessed can be sullied and disgraced. One who would spare the people grief can be overburdened. And again, like... I think what I'm most struck by and Nylan achieves this in her translation and it's clearly in the source text, at least uh, it's in the source text via this translation, is that like none of this stuff is redundant. Like Sun or whoever compiled these texts, whatever, like it's very economical in terms of like, no, these are it's like these are the five flavors of fatal flaws. Like they don't overlap with each other at all.
0: I have found a way to to distill them. They do. I mean, the book we've mentioned a few times, like stuff we've, we've jumped around a bit in the book, but it's not because the book is saying the same thing over and over again. I think it's because it's always like trying to tie everything together. Correct. Yeah. In each like subsequent chapter, it's, it's trying to reference some of the same things to drive home lessons from earlier chapters.
1: The next two chapters get a little bit more specific, Andrew.
0: Yeah, so there's like uh, the there's fielding the army, which is like specifically about like how to position your dudes. <laughs> this is
1: if you're playing Warhammer,
0: where do you playing put your dudes? Age of Empires 2. Yeah. And crossing mountains, keep to the valleys and face the open ground. Keep to the high ground. And in the heat of battle, do not scale the mountains. This is the right way to field an army in the mountains. And it's just got a few different, like for uh, what mountains, waters, marshes, uh, flatlands.
1: Water is like, wait. I liked the part in water where it was like, wait till the enemy's halfway across the river <laughs> and mm-hmm. then do your thing. Mm-hmm. Marshes is just like, please don't be in marshes, but if you have to, be near trees. Yeah. And then flatland is like, find a hill and get near it, but it's going to be tough.
0: And then there's another bit toward the end of, of this one. That I liked about, the
1: second half of, half of that chapter a lot. It was about
0: actually. looking at what your, what your opponent is doing. If yes. the enemy soldiers lean on their weapons, they're hungry. If those sent for water take the first drink themselves, they are thirsty. If there's an advantage to be had, yet they do not advance to seize it, they are weary Wherever birds gather, the enemy position is unoccupied. When there are sc- shouts in the night, the enemy is frightened. When there is turmoil within the ranks, the commander is not respected. When their flags and pennants are shifting about, the enemy is in chaos. When his officers are easily angered, the enemy is exhausted. When the enemy feeds his horses grain and his men get meat, and when his men no longer hang up their water flagons or return to camp, the now desperate enemy is ready to fight to the death. So this is all in like in service of the knowing your enemy part.
1: Yeah, I, and I like that part a lot because it does it straddles the line between like theoretical and practical. Uh-huh. It's it's seems pretty smart and observant of like, yeah, there's thousands of dudes out there. What are they going to do? Some people need to get the water. Some people need to feed the horses. And you can tell by how that goes down the state of your opponent yeah. If you're willing to take the time to do that and not just be like, well, I want to fight them over there and we're doing it on Tuesday. Like that's, yeah. that's mm-hmm. not how you should play the game.
0: Well, it's also about like, you know, don't just assume anything about why your opponent is doing anything. Yeah, like, that's true. T- try to interrogate and derive meaning where you can from the actions that they are taking and then use that to your advantage. Correct. Correct. Um, Oh, and then the next—we're next really, getting really good at war. We, I gotta we say, are. Um, I mean, you're pretty good at this. The
1: next two confirmations of the land and nine kinds of ground are—it's a mix of—it's just about what the dirt like. Well, confirmation of the land is what's the dirt like. Nine kinds of ground is like where you are on the strategic map.
0: Oh yeah, is, is uh, is that one about like? what to do if you are in, like, ground that's hard to defend or, yes. or whatever it yes. is. Okay, yeah, that was that was good. So I let's
1: go that. through the types of mana that you can tap um, if you're playing Magic in Confirmations of the Land. Um, there's open land. Everybody can fight there. It's
0: cool. There's hanging land. Where you can just have a chill hang. No, no well. It's, <laughs> lands where advance <laughs> is possible, but return is hampered. <laughs> there is
1: split land, which is... Some sort of geographical feature where you want to let the other guy go first. Uh huh. Um, defiles, which is a word I had never heard of for like a gorge. Um, you should occupy it first and then garrison there. And if they
0: defile it. Or is it defiled already? Hmm, okay.
1: Yeah, I don't really... Did God defile it when he created the gorge? I don't really know yeah. how that works. Um, but if the other guy gets there first, get out of there. Don't do not do it. Ravines, you got to take the high ground. I have the high ground. Ha ha. Um, and <laughs> if... There's you're a, the chosen <laughs> if right? there are, if you're at like distances between each other, nobody has an advantage, and maybe you just shouldn't fight that day. You should go home. Um have some hot cocoa.
0: That creates an even bigger
1: distance yeah. between the two. And there's more stuff on like knowing your enemy. Then the nine kinds of ground, Andrew, this is the uh if you're on deserters ground, mm-hmm. that's when like the local lord is on the battlefield with you, and if he dies, then people are just gonna leave. Like that's not a great situation. Yeah, Land taken lightly is if you go into enemy enemy territory, but you're not too deep. So you they're not going to defend it super hard, I don't yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Land worth fighting for
0: is resources or it's, it's a like good, good position. There's a lot of gold there's a lot of golden stone and, and There's sheep and, there uh, or something. Uh, That's gas and stuff
1: <laughs> that you can get. <laughs> uh, the meeting ground is equally accessible between both armies. So I guess you could have a parlay there or something mm-hmm. plan later crossroads i guess is where like the neighborhoods converge and maybe you can pitch some local people to join your troop not quite sure why crossroads are important uh never taken lightly is if you're deep inside enemy enemy territory difficult to cross is when it's it's more about like the previous chapter stuff yeah, land made like what what that dirt like what that dirt like land made for an ambush is similar uh what that dirt like uh like it's got a lot of narrow entrances and exits you're gonna get stuck and then deadlands is you only survive there if you battle ferociously
0: This being the case, never fight on deserter's ground, never tarry when on ground taken lightly, never attack the enemy on ground worth fighting for, never get cut off on meeting ground, always seek to make allies on crossroad lands, always pillage on lands not taken lightly, always press on in difficult grounds, always be ready with strategies and lands made for an ambush, and always, always in the deadlands, fight like hell. I liked
1: this... I liked the notion of this chapter. I I don't have... I'm not here to talk about how applicable these, like, categories are to real Uh, life. Sure. But I think as a, like, attempt to categorize types of territory you're encountering in any sort of conflict, it it seems like a useful way to do it because, again, it is not specific to whose territory it is or why it's important. It's just that it's important to you. and yeah. You can, you can mm-hmm. determine that yourself. Um, the back half of this chapter is where he talks about being a wacky, unpredictable guy, and he says, "Put blind the the best field commanders or whatever, puts blinders on his officers and men so they never know what he's thinking." I didn't like this chapter. it just reminded me of Trump because I know knew that from the intro, and I was just reminded of kooky businessmen who aren't good managers and just kind of do whatever. <laughs> I didn't like
0: it. You know, we d- and we don't have to talk about this anymore because now we're finally at the fire chapter. We're at Attacks with Fire. Now Craig, there are five different ways you can set <laughs> stuff on so fire. <laughs> I was so
1: surprised by I turned to I was like dealing with my thoughts on the previous chapter which were good and bad and then also ended on like you have to unite the soldiers to your will and the way to do that is to only put them in positions where they're going to win, but to do that, you have to recognize the mortal danger you're putting them in. And I was like, "Okay." And this chapter
0: is like, "Here's how you here's, here's how to light stuff on fire." Here's, baby. The, here's
1: who you set on fire <laughs> and
0: when. The five kinds of incendiary attacks are: one, setting fire to personnel; <laughs> two, setting fire to stockpiles of supplies; three, setting fire to the baggage trains and supply wagons. Four, setting fire to the granaries and armories. And five, setting fire to everything along the routes between encampments having possible reinforcements. Those are the places you set on Fire, fire, there must always be flammable materials for it to consume, (laughs) and those materials must always be on hand. If you're going to set stuff on fire, make sure that there's stuff that you can set on fire.
1: Yeah. I did like the little caveat where he's like, listen... If you set their camp on fire, you better be prepared to rush in unless unless they're like oddly chill about it. (laughs) If they're organized and rested and their commander knows what he's doing, they will not be rattled by the fire and you would actively make a bad decision if you've rushed in. And then we revisit this idea of only attacking when victory is certain.
0: The part of, the, of this that I like the most is the part where he says that it doesn't get windy, windy at night. <laughs> Do you remember that? I did notice that. I was like, I don't that know no. that while the wind may blow throughout the day, it tends to stop at night. Does it? I think maybe it. I think maybe you just can't see it. Is that a much, regional thing? I don't know. If anybody who lives in this area of China can tell us whether the wind stops at night i guess let us know
1: i have tried to sleep in northwest iowa when the canadian winds blow and there are no mm-hmm. trees to knock it down mm-hmm. it's loud man <laughs> like it is, the wind does not stop at night <laughs> we have found the one inaccuracy in mm-hmm. this book uh and then similarly the last chapter called using spies
0: yeah this is just like Totally spies the that cartoon. <laughs> you how to, you how to use spies. The five kinds of spies. It
1: opens with a lot of math. Mm-hmm. The opening is like, as a rule of thumb, raising a hundred thousand troops and sending them out on campaign to a location one thousand leagues away cost a thousand units of gold per day, which was oddly age vampires to me. <laughs>
0: What's a unit of gold? I don't know. Do we know? Okay.
1: No idea. Including the expenses incurred by the hundred families and the upkeep by the ruling house. This creates upheaval in the palace and beyond in the inner provinces and at the frontiers. You can count on 700,000 taking to the roads, idle and weary, since they are unable to attend to their usual tasks. And and I was like, (laughs) this is (laughs) a lot of big math. And his point is, look, look at all this math. And
0: yet some people will not cut the check for a few measly spies. <laughs> yep, come on, cheapskates. To begrudge the expense is the height of inhumanity. That, and that Such person is neither a good commander for his men nor a good aid to his ruler. He is no master of victory. This chapter is a fascinating prism
1: through which to view the the art of war is actually a treatise on when not to fight. Because uh-huh. it is, listen, the cost of war is a lot. I need to pay all these liars, though. I need, mm-hmm. I need, I need to pay my liars. I need to pay my liars. My
0: liars have unionized,
1: and there are five types of liars that we're going to talk about in a second. But like, it is interesting that is like the act of going to war is such a major financial and cultural upheaval for your kingdom that you might as well do the other thing that makes that work better
0: Mm -hmm.
1: which is interesting and it it, like i think the applications of spies and and what the she has made reference to the fact that the the chinese term is not specifically at least as it was used does not literally mean spies as much as it means those who quote get between the parties or like fill gaps or something Mm -hmm. so it's just we would call them spies today um There are five kinds, Andrew.
0: Uh
1: There are locals. Yep. There are insiders. Mm -hmm. There are double
0: agents, Mm -hmm. dead spies, and live agents. Locals are the enemy's compatriots in our employ. Insiders are enemy officials in our employ. Double agents are enemy spies who report to our side as well. Dead, and I like dead spies the yep. most. Dead spies are pawns and our employee whom we intentionally deceive so that they relay false information to the enemy. Every time you retweet something, you
1: should ask yourself, am I being a dead spy? Am I being the dead spy? Just think about it. I need Is, to do, do better, better about it myself.
0: Has this screenshot been altered in some stupid, easily disprovable way? Who would have benefited for me to virality? signal blast this? Yes. And uh, live agents, by contrast, report back to us. Yeah.
1: And then, and then he goes on a little bit to say like you need to know everything about your opponents. You need, basically need to know their social security numbers and what they ate for breakfast mm-hmm. so that you can predict what they're going to do so that you can put your 700,000 troops in
0: the right spot. And it also gets this again gets pretty specific in a couple places like as a general rule it's always necessary to know ahead of time the family and personal names of the defendant commander, his retainers, counselors, gate officers and sentries. Whether it's an army, we want to attack a city to be besieged or an assassination to carry out. We must direct our spies to find a way to secure this information for us. Yeah, it's good. It's interesting that I mean, if you want to talk about how like modern warfare yeah. t- takes place, like not the Call of Duty game, but just like the concept <laughs> Yes. It's more about spy craft and like in- information gathering yeah. than it is about like guys on horses smacking each other. Yes.
1: Well, it is. I think it's interesting to look at the fire chapter as a series of metaphors. Rather than literal fires, even though that chapter uh, is all about literal fires. Yeah,
0: no, I like it better it's literal fires. But I,
1: I think it has some interesting applications as a series of metaphors for how you might, like, cause disruption. But then the spy stuff does feel the most like, oh, you could take this chapter and just do it. Yeah. Today. Just do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And not to say that I think people like I'm that I'm here saying, like, let's go do it. But just like this is applicable in a way that the other stuff requires some time and space and linguistic translation. Mm-hmm. And this chapter is like, here you go. You could Xerox it. And like, people, yeah, could like make this, is how, this is still how this is
0: still basically how Spycraft works. Yeah. Um, so,
1: yeah, it was. I don't know. Did you come away with it? What do you think about this? like thesis of it being a book observing war, but not necessarily arguing for it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not it's, arguing that war is the optimal solution yeah. for every present, And that's where the art of it comes in, I suppose. It's yeah. like <laughs> you need to know w- when to do it. Um, yeah. I don't, that's what I, I, I think I don't maybe, know. I don't have a, like a deeper understanding of the, like, that's what it is. I
1: think it's, but, like, for me, it's like it's drawing, it's kind of uh, slight, it's slicing the slice a little bit. Like it is trying to create some distance between like glorifying bloody battle mm-hmm. and sometimes you will have to fight. It better be the right one and yeah. here's and here's a whole bunch of things you need to consider to make sure it's the right one mm-hmm. Um, and that is an interesting I don't it is not a pacifist text and I don't think that
0: that comes through no and I don't I, I think, think it that, can that, be
1: based on what it's trying to do
0: yeah and and Nyland in that I think of that lit hub piece especially like she talks about her experience as being a near pacifist and like that being the lens that she views the word yeah through and i do think that is it's tough i think that that yeah and and may, maybe it goes too far in like interpreting it as a as a manual for how not to fight because there is a whole chapter that's like here's exactly how and what to set on fire <laughs> <laughs> but like no this is not a metaphor it's literally you're literally just burning your enemy's supplies and here's when to do it
1: but but it is interesting and, and it did ring out to me like how much of that those early chapters are all about stuff you shouldn't do which could mount an argument for why you shouldn't do it in the first place which is
0: interesting yeah but I, but it never comes out and says i mean i, I guess it does it supposes that you times. have been told
1: to go to war
0: yeah, it, it does come out a couple times and say like try not to. Yeah. But that's not that's not the point of the that's not what it's coming back to over and over again. No, no. It's not the art of diplomacy. It's like this it is the art of war. Yeah, <laughs> like there is that's war true. in it by necessity.
1: That is that is very true. Um if you were gonna update the text, Andrew, what would you add? This is not I this mean, doesn't have to be a serious answer.
0: No, I mean it's gotta be cyber though. This is this is kind of a serious answer. Yeah, it? it's
1: gotta be cyber.
0: What, what is the, uh, the yeah, and, and like some of the stuff about like surprise and fainting and whatever like it's still broadly applicable in like a big sort of way but like what does warfare look like when nothing physical happens yeah yeah when it's all just i mean i guess you are like technically still like cutting off supply lines or like causing disruption like you still have to know your enemy in the sense that you have to know like what uh, what software are they using? Like, what are the vulnerabilities? Like, what kind of um, like social engineering can we can we figure out? Like, what weak links can we press against? Like, in the broadest possible terms, yeah, the book is still applicable, but yeah, and if yeah, you look just at like it- that 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 is the front that a lot of stuff is happening on yeah. right now, and yeah, it's just I'm curious how um how it would be interpretive it interpreted if somebody like took it and was trying to update the book specifically on that like access
1: yeah because i think you'd also see some of the like how do you apply it to social engineering type like cultural warfare and i don't just mean that like we're arguing about cultural hot button issues i mean like exploiting that within a country that you are
0: or yeah, within a no, community I mean, you're talking about you when, like, opposed to Steve Bannon is pulling on his third collared shirt and he's like <laughs> thinking of how to like foment civil unrest. Yeah, like, yeah,
1: yeah. It's that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm sure there are applications within the existing text, but you probably could elaborate on them based on, you know observations about how people carry culture in a way that would not is very different from 2500 years ago. Yeah,
0: because th- this is very commander centric and I think uh, if you're going to do a modern update it would almost need to be more like like masses or or like yeah. crowds and like the the psychology of a crowd, the way to manipulate like an uh, like an information landscape. Yes. The way to I don't know, like to, to sow doubt amongst your opponent in service of taking them down, which is like, I mean, I guess I want Putin to sit down and write some chapters of this thing because that's the kind of stuff that he loves to do. God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not to get all like Rachel Maddow on it. No, I like know. <laughs>
1: I guess I would, you know, to to provide a completely serious answer. I just want a passage about like the cupcake wars at the end, just like update uh, it.
0: Sure, yeah, for food shows. Yeah, or sort like storage wars, wars like or what the happened? storage wars.
1: Yeah, or like the forum wars. Ooh, the forum wars, the late no, night wars.
0: That, I think the forum wars is getting into, no, you, into my. No, I don't thing want to do that. Bit. Yeah. I was trying to search for
1: other editions that use Art of War. I got a lot of Star Wars books, Star Wars yeah. art books.
0: Mm-hmm. Which you have to right. do. You have to Google like minus Star Wars. Yeah, but I did find that as a search.
1: The term. Art of War for Executives. The Art of War for Women. The Art of War for Writers. The Art of War for Managers. The Art of War for Spiritual Battle. The Art of Business Wars. The Klingon Art of War. <laughs> Sun Tzu and Machiavelli Leadership Secrets, How to Become a Superior Leader Using the Principles of the Art of War and the Prince. Please, no one... Re- Jeez, I don't, that sounds I can't. pretty bad. That seems like where I don't want this to go, which is why I wanted yeah. to go back to the original text and see what was there. It was interesting yeah. to me. And here it is. Here it is. The Art of War. We read it. Tell us about how you've used this book in your life. Yeah. I clearly used it to get better at poker because Andrew thinks I'm good at poker.
0: Yeah, you're great at it. Thanks. I've never seen you loose.
1: And that was by design. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, Again, we're doing a Patreon stream uh, before the end of this calendar year. If you're a Patreon supporter, you'll know about that. And then check it out on the main feed sometime in early 2022. Go back to the beginning of this podcast and listen to the schedule or find it on our social media feeds this week. If you have a question, you can send it to us at OverduePod at or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at OverduePod. Thanks to you, Book to Watch, Carol, Tom, Mike, Bronwyn, Kelly, and many more for reaching out this past week. Thanks to Nick Larandis who composed our theme song. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go?
0: OverduePodcast.com is our internet website. Up there, we have links to the books that we have read and are going to read. As Craig mentioned, we'll be updating that for January soon. Uh, you click those links, takes you to bookshop.org. You buy those books. We get a small cut of it. Your local independent bookseller gets a sale and you get a book. So everybody wins. Yeah. Uh, patreon.com slash overdue pod is our Patreon project. As Craig has mentioned, we are recording a bonus episode soon. We've got, uh, our long read project, uh, Don Quixote winding down slowly over the course of many weeks and months. I feel like we've been reading Don Quixote for most of my life at this point. We are coming
1: up on an episode that would have been about as long as our previous long read. So I feel like you yeah. are reaching. I am not quite ready to be done with our errant knight, but I feel like I'm
0: not I'm not ready to be done with it. It's just like we have been doing it for a while. We have. that's fine. I still enjoy the time I spend with him. It's just like. Come on, Cervantes. Wrap it sure, up. sure. <laughs> uh what else i think that's it all right everybody thank you so much for listening to our show Uh, i hope everybody has a safe and happy holiday and a good new year and until we talk to you next time please try to be happy